Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about lessons from 30 years of friendship, Ryan. Mm. We're going to answer a bunch of your surprise questions. But first, let's read some more about less. This article, we'll put a link to it in the show notes, is from The Conversation. And the title is Psychological, quote, Specialness Spirals. Mm, I could have sworn you were going to read a, an article about how to stop biting your nails. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the one lesson I've learned over 30. No matter how much I want to stop biting my nails, <laughs> no matter how much I love you, Josh. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, I don't want to convince you anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's, this is how you know I love you. Yeah, that's right. Because of your nail biting. So we're it's 2014. Uh, Josh and I are on the road. He's like, hey, man, um, I want to help. And I do. I ask for help. Please help me stop biting my nails. And so like you ask Josh for help and he goes to work to help you as much as he can, <laughs> because that's how much of an amazing friend he is. So he's like, I got the solution, man. We're going to buy you some rubber gloves and you can wear these rubber gloves and that'll prevent you from biting your nails. And it actually did work, man. Like, but it was weird, though, because we're driving down the highway. I've got these blue rubber gloves on. Of course it worked. I, Ryan, we're to cut your hands off. Right. <laughs> right. So stop. Now, Ryan would start biting his stump, to be fair. I, yeah, right. That's true. I, would, I will never forget the look on the woman's face who is driving by, and she's like looking over at us, and I've got blue latex gloves on, and I'm holding them up like this, making a joke about them, about like, you know, being a serial killer or something. Mm. The look on her face was like, Oh my God, what is going on in that car? <laughs> it's like the look on, I will never forget her, like the wide eyes and like the jaw dropped. <laughs> her head just like fixated up as long as she could look at me. Oh, dude. Anyway, yeah, well, the thing is now you saw someone, you just think they'd be overly cautious about viruses, right? Oh, isn't that true? Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. I, you know, it's the, the, I used to always look for solutions for things like that. It's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life over the last 40 years, but especially over the last two years is I used to look for sol so gloves or there were these things you could paint over your fingers to I don't know if it made it taste bad or whatever. Yeah, I could cut your hands off. That's a solution, yeah, right? Sure. The the solution doesn't actually address the problem mm. in any of those scenarios. The problem here is you weren't there wasn't enough pain associated with biting your nail. There still isn't. And it's not that it's wrong for you to bite your nails. Uh, I, you know, Tony Robbins used to be a big time nail biter, like worse than you. Mm -hmm. Like since he would bleed it until like, he, would, he would eat them until they were bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've had that a few times, sure. but like on accident. Yeah. Right. Right. You're not doing it to intentionally make yourself right. bleed. Yeah. But like, I guess he was biting them down so far that most of his fingers were bleeding oh. and he was in this corporate meeting. He was young, 20 something at the time. And he was in this corporate meeting and he's this he has this phenomenal rapport with this woman across the table. Like yeah. He's getting ready to close the deal and mm -hmm. uh, work out this speaking gig for this large organization. And, mm -hmm. and then right as they're getting ready to finish the meeting, she looks down, she sees his nails mm -hmm. and she's like, what? What's wrong with your nails? He's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I just bite them. You know, it's a ha bad habit of mine. And she like takes back the contract over the nails. Yeah. She's like, yeah. hey, I can't do business with someone who lacks that much self-control. So he yeah. So he uh, that was enough pain for him to associate with. Stop biting his nails. Yeah. He said ever since I, I haven't I've never bitten my nails since then. That's funny. Yeah. And so like, I think what is fascinating about this and we'll get right into it here before I even get into this article is I've learned a lot over the last 11 
or 12 years of minimalism. So it's been 12 years of minimalism for me, a little bit more than that. 11 years since we started the minimalist 11 years ago this week. But even then, you know, you started your packing party months before that. We started mm-hmm. writing some stuff. But officially, our website, theminimalists.com, launched on December 14th, 2010. And why is, do we pick that date again? I was just ready to go live. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so... I mean, we had some stuff behind, you know, it was, it it was ready to go maybe two days before that or whatever too, but we were still just tweaking, you know, random things in the back end. Here's a bio here. Let's put up this essay here. The 21 day journey is where it started on the website. Mm -hmm. It's still up there right now. If you want to check it out, Sean, put a link to this in the show notes. If you don't mind the minimalists.com slash 21 days, it's the original 21 day journey of the packing party, but also like the lessons learned throughout that packing party. So we're not going to reprise those lessons. We're also not going to reprise the lessons that we talked about last year. Ryan and I did one year ago this week. We did a three hour podcast called Decade of Less, and we really dive deep into the things we learned around well the last decade or so. And so I'm much more concerned about what did we learn in 2020, 2021 specifically? And then maybe we can also go back before the whole minimalism thing and we could mm. talk about uh, our childhoods and, and what we've learned and compare and, and contrast some of that as well. Josh, it feels like yesterday we did the decade of less. Time is a flat circle. Oh my God. <laughs> I seriously, I feel like we just did that two weeks ago. It was in our old studio, believe it or not. Oh my goodness. I think man. it was. Was it? No. I, no. I think, yeah, yeah, it was because we didn't have to move out that old studio until, so we recorded a bef- oh, few weeks before right. we had to yeah. move out. Yeah. So we, we, and we were in a temporary studio for what, four months or something like that. And now we've been here. We've been very slowly and intentionally building out this studio space. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took six months just to, for them to build this desk. And then it took Jordan six hours to put it together. <laughs> um, he got it together so quick. Yeah, he did. It was unbelievable. Dude. Uh, well, I mean, we all helped, to be fair. We, we, we chipped in, but Jordan was the spearhead. Uh, wait, that, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. He was the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Great, Josh. Now we have a lawsuit on our hands. <laughs> Uh, it was not a joke although it was funny i Um, hate how um i just hate how as i get older the time just i love getting older because of the lessons and the things that we're about to talk about but i hate how fast time passes and then add a pandemic to it it dude it's crazy kids if you're listening don't get old (laughs) josh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on the minimal episode, we were talking about Salvador Dali, and you know one of the things he's most famous for the painting or the paintings of the the clocks where they're melting. Mm. And I feel like that's what life has been like, especially the last two years. But just as you get older, the time moves differently. It moves by so much more quickly. But then during a pandemic, as you said, it's like the clocks are sort of melting and bending, and a month feels like a day, a day feels like a year. Like all of these weird things start happening with time. Yeah. Let's read some more about less. This is from the conversation and this article is about specialness spirals. Psychological specialness spirals can make ordinary items feel like treasures and they may explain how clutter accumulates. This is by Jacqueline Rifkin. Years ago, I bought a blouse at Target that same day. I considered putting it on, but for no particular reason, I decided not to. Have you done that before where you bought something 
and it's like a, a really nice shirt and it's like oh but i need the right occasion for this Dude, you don't you, do it now because like I don't I, that would have been a good reason to buy something back in my <laughs> consumeristic days because I used to buy things just because of a name brand, mm. let alone like, oh, I'll use that for my cousin's uncle's funeral. Well, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. The, the problem is we're going to use it for some hypothetical event that doesn't actually exist. Right. And so Ryan buys some blouse he wants to wear like this woman. Yes. And decides, oh, I'll wait one day. I don't know what it is. For me, there were quite a few shirts like that. In fact, there was uh, there was a shirt not that long ago within the last few years where I'm like, why am I holding on to this mm. button up shirt that I, it doesn't fit within a 90 90 rule? Yeah. And what, what I'll do sometimes to justify holding on to something mm. is I'll, I'll cheat my own rules. Mm -hmm. And so it's like I'll wear it once. And I'll wear it today, and there, that, therefore, it's not it, it, the yeah, 99 I'm rule. Following my rules, right? And and that's when rules break down because that's a fa false boundary because I'm not yeah. actually getting value from it. And when you wear it and you realize like, oh, I don't actually enjoy wearing this thing, that is a, a sign to let it go as well. You know why I own a tie? Why? And a jacket, the Magic Castle. Uh, <laughs> that's the yes. only reason why. But it, but I do go there at least two to three times a year. And well, since the pandemic, not so much. But the first time I had to go, I had to borrow a jacket and a tie. And I just it was the, the, long story short, the, the the gentleman I borrowed this stuff from, he was like, you can just keep those things because <laughs> <laughs> they just weren't very stylish. Yeah. Um. So I was like, all right. And then I, I was like, no big deal. Like, I was totally happy to borrow those things. But then I went like to three times and I was like, okay, like I'm going often enough to like and they have a dress code, right? And I don't want to look like a homeless magician. Yes, exactly. They're a private business. They are allowed to have a dress code and uh, I love the Constitution. So I support their right as a private business to force me to wear a freaking tie. <laughs> <laughs> if I looked good in a bolo tie, I would totally do it, but because they are allowed there. Oh, you could do that, you, Ryan, because you could wear a cowboy hat. I, I'll help you out with this. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm going to be cowboy. I can help you out with this. You'll look great, man. Yes. Um, oh, I can't wait. All right. Yeah. And so the specialness spiral thing is fascinating. We'll keep get, re reading this article here, but quite often we'll hold on to something. Now, you, you, you brought up a great point. Like you have this jacket and tie. These are just for win items mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you may not use it within the 90-90 rule, but you know, you're going to go back I to the mat. Yeah, exactly. That's and why it, I haven't got rid of them during the pandemic because like I understand circumstances. And if for some reason you said, hey, I'm done. I'd get rid of them. Yeah. I'd Did someone the, knock uh, on the door just now? Or I'm I am not hearing hear so. anything. Is, so that's bolo, okay. is it bolo tie or bola tie? Bolo. Bolo. Yeah, I'm almost certain. Am I? Yeah. I don't know what kind of tie you're talking Bolo? about. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Anyway, back to the specialness spirals. <laughs> Speaking of spiraling. All right. That weekend, I again considered wearing the blouse, but the occasion didn't seem good enough. So again, I passed. A week later, I considered the blouse for a date, but again, the event didn't seem special enough. Wow. This Fast is, forward to today. This has not happened to me. Fast forward to today. I have never worn my Target blouse. Wow. What had started out as ordinary now holds a special place in my closet and no occasion feels quite worthy of my wearing it. What happened here? Why do people own so many unused possessions, treating them as though they are too special to use? I'm an assistant professor of marketing, and these are the questions that inspired my latest research, 
with Jonah Berger, an associate professor, professor of marketing. In six experiments, we uncovered one important reason why people can accumulate so many ordinary possessions without ever using or getting rid of them. Non-consumption or the act of not using something. Yeah. Non-consumption. It's, I can't. Re- I mean, <clears throat> I understand what she's saying. I can't relate to that though because I've never held something so high. Well, no, you never say never. Maybe there's something. I have. I have a few ex- examples for you when we were doing your packing party. Yeah, and it sounds absurd to you now, but mm. put yourself in the mindset of your 28 year old, 29, however old you were at the time, 29, yeah. I guess. Yeah. No, you're 28. You're getting ready to turn 29, and all those coffee mugs you had. Oh yeah. Most of them were never used. But I wasn't saving them. They were like my backup to the backup. They were special in a different way. It was yeah. a specialness spiral in the sense that like it was something you were never using, yeah. but you weren't letting go of it. So Ooh. really, really. So let's take away the the, the backup thing. Yeah. What he's talking about here or what she's talking about with with her professor is non consumption. The mm. act of not using something most isn't this fascinating. We're consumers of non-consumption. We buy so many things that we never use or we use once or we think we're going to use for a special occasion or maybe we even use it for a special occasion mm. and then it just sits in the closet in the cabinet in yeah. the dresser in the basement in the attic and we never use it again. Fine China. Yes, that is. That's the one thing I, I remember like we uh, when I got married at 18 or 19, uh, a registry had some China on it. Um, my amazing mother-in-law at the time, uh, she like basically got the China for us. I can't think of one time that we used it. Yeah. Not once. In right. fact, we didn't even have like, it was like kind of tucked away because we didn't have a China cabinet or, or anything. Mm-hmm. So we just had it like tucked away like, oh, we'll use it. We uh, Yeah, I guess we did have a dining room table. But long story short, that is one thing I can think of that it was so precious that we never used it. And I think there are a few problems here. One is the, the preciousness, mm-hmm. the specialness. It, it becomes a special specialness spiral. Mm-hmm. But the other problem that I often run into with this is I pretend it's special but I really actually just don't like it that much. <laughs> that button up shirt I talked about earlier was like, I don't really like wearing this, but I feel like I'm supposed to have this for mm. whatever reason. I'm going to wear it for a special occasion. I'm going to hold on to it. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to plug myself in. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not grounded. He's, his batteries are dying. <laughs> he was just learning how to love. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to relearn. So the button up shirt. What else did you have that was so that you and your ex-wife like? Did you have anything that was so precious that Yes, you were like saved it for a special occasion, but the occasion never happened. Quite a few things. So um, we had a living room full of furniture. Then we had an entertainment room. Oh, yeah. Well, we never I never sat in that living room. Right. Yeah. And so it's weird. I, I often sat in one chair in that living room, but the other couches were like so pristine. Not, I don't mean like clean pristine, but like they looked as though they had never been sat on. There were these yeah. giant monstrosity leather couches is huge the ceiling in that room was 20 feet high yeah, it I was, remember. It was massive t- right yeah, yeah and and so there were quite a few things there there were especially a few things in the kitchen mm. so the bread makers well yes the and and in a weird way that there's a specialness spiral there where like oh i'll save that for a 
bread making occasion. I was doing an interview in <laughs> in Spain the other day. Well, I wasn't in Spain, but he was in Spain. <laughs> and uh, it was on Zoom and we were it was for the largest newspaper in Spain. And this guy is like this really famous reporter there, but he's super eccentric. Like it was mostly him talking during the interview, which was I was fine with. Yeah. But um he said he lived in New York for a while and he said, I don't understand. Like, why would Americans have bread makers like here? We just go downstairs and there's like a bakery and I'll buy the bread. What a luxury, man. Yeah, because that like that's one thing I love about Europe, like especially like a place like Paris or something. You can literally every corner has a bread, you know, a bakery on it mm-hmm. and it's always I've never like gotten random croissant or anything in Paris where I was like, this is horrible. Like it's all freaking amazing. So anyway, imagine trying to make your own croissants at home though. You, that's a, yeah, exactly. Now some people can and they can do a great job with it, mm-hmm. right? But when we hold on to one item just in case I might want to make croissants one time in the next four years, this stuff gets in the way. A few other items that I that I had to stand out. My dad's giant dresser, and you're f- intimately familiar oh with this because you and my brother and I, we all had to carry it up. The medicine several, desk? Yeah, the, the medicine called? cabinet. Yeah, the medicine cabinet desk. Oh so my, my father, before he, um, well, went crazy, um, he was a medical doctor, and so he had this medicine desk that we, I actually had converted into a, a bookshelf, right? Yeah. But I never read the books that were in there. Most of them were his. And it's all gone now. I don't use any of it. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, I have to have this. So I think quite often we were talking about this in the minimal episode, but quite often we turn anything into a sentimental item, including this gal here, Jacqueline. She turned this blouse into a sentimental item in yeah, a way. Yeah. I'm going to use that for some hypothetical situation. I don't know exactly what the situation is. In fact, when the situation's presented themselves. Oh, I'm going to try it for a date. Oh, I'm going to try to wear it for no reason. I'm going to try to find the right occasion it, every time. It was like, ah, oh, it's it's, never happened. Yeah, it never happens because we don't actually want to use the thing. We don't yeah. want the thing in the first place. It makes me think how pernicious the like jewelry industry is because think about all those pieces of jewelry sitting in people's jewelry boxes, right? We're going to wear it on this on the perfect occasion, but let, let's say that occasion happens once a year or twice a year even but like having thousands of dollars sitting somewhere to, to just to display your wealth yes you know a couple times a year it seems uh yeah when you when i i don't know when i put it in that perspective it, it just like i said it seems super pernicious the specialness spiral is simply another way to say just in case item yeah i mean it's what we what we've done is we said i'm gonna hold on to this just in case i n- might need it someday mm-hmm. well this is adding an extra layer of sentimentality to it. I'm going to hold on to this because it's so special. It's too special to use right now. Mm. Well, who wants to own things that are so precious that I can't use it right now? Yeah, that yeah. seems dangerous to me. That's crazy. Let me just read a little bit more from this and then we'll put a link to the rest of it in the show notes. What we found, we first invited 121 participants to the lab and gave each one a fresh notebook. We asked half the people to solve word puzzles that required writing. They could either use their brand new notebook or scrap paper. The other half completed puzzles on the computer. Later in the lab session, all participants encountered a puzzle that required writing and they could either use their notebook or scrap paper. Interestingly, 
participants who had the initial opportunity to use the notebook but hadn't were significantly less likely to use the notebook later in the session. Wow. It just showed like how it just shows how yeah, we hold things with a certain sentiment to mm-hmm. the point where we don't even use it for its use. Right. I don't yeah. want to ruin this thing by mm. using it. Yeah. But the only purpose of the things are to use them in some way. Even like these paintings that are behind us, we're using them for beauty, for art, right? We're, we're, and so, but if we took these paintings and put them in the annex downstairs, which mm-hmm. is our fancy term for the, because we don't want to have a storage closet yeah, to protect so, them. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. They're so special. I don't want to, I want to save them. I yeah. can't put them on the podcast now. Yeah. Um, so, I think what we do is if we don't want to use our things, we then say, well, they're special or I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to put too many miles on my car. I get that. But like if you just cover the car, put it in a garage, never use it. That's a specialness spiral. Yeah. Patrons, I'm interested to hear from you either from the live chat. If we have anyone in the live chat who wants to talk about, give me a thing that you have got into a specialness spiral with or if you're listening to this after the fact feel free to comment on this post on the audio version of this post on patreon speaking of the studio ryan we are over six months into this new space here the studio is 80 or 90 percent done although you'll notice the behind us if you're watching the video version of this the paintings aren't hung we sort of just leaned them against the wall Uh, and it's because we tried to hang them this weekend we came in with uh, tim mullen over at wove arts he actually oh he's gonna get us tickets there's this new banksy exhibit he just did oh really yeah that's incredible i just heard jordan cheers himself (laughs) (laughs) isn't that a banksy on the other side of the street of our office that's a franksy oh it's a franksy yeah his cousin Yes. (laughs) uh anyway uh yeah he just did the this whole banksy exhibit where he he hung a bunch of his artwork there i think it's over in culver city did he get to meet banksy no, it's not sanctioned by Banksy doesn't like people doing these things. Oh, yeah, but it's uh, it is more of an immersive experience. You know, the same people who did the Van Gogh thing are doing this Banksy thing. Oh, okay. So I'm looking forward to to checking it out. He said he'll get us some tickets. Did today. I share the, my Van Gogh experience with you? Uh, I don't I don't know. So <clears throat> man, there's 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 a nugget here. I think that the patrons will appreciate my expectation. I had so I had, my expectations were so high for the Van Gogh exhibit. Okay, I've heard countless countless people who were like, "It was amazing. It's crazy. It was beautiful. I've never had anything like it." And so my I'll tell you what my expectation was. My expectation was that um you that they had different exhibits with the in different different um uh, uh, architecture different uh whether it's furniture or whether it was just you know different designs of architecture within the room i thought you went from like exhibit to exhibit yeah experiencing these different um van gogh uh uh, paintings right so what it is though so that's that's that was the first problem is i had this my expectation like built it out to be this crazy thing in my head it did two things your expectation was for it to be this big awesome thing but also you had expectation it was going to be different from what it actually yes, was like you like a museum you go to different different wings of the museum and you get different experiences with the art that's right yeah so what i didn't realize was it's literally 
it's projectors that are, you know, over um, not all eight dimensions, but seven. Like if you think of a cube, how many sides to, I guess there are six sides to a cube. So it's like five, like if you, yeah. So there are six sides to a cube. Yeah. Um, it's on every single surface except for the ceiling, basically. Right. So you've got five different surfaces that these projectors are going on. I thought it was on the ceiling, no? Mm. Maybe I'm, misremem- I'm probably mis- misremembering it. Well, let's say it was on the ceiling. It's yeah. Okay. Let's, let's just say it was. So why is it, there's someone knocking on there, the door? It says, do not disturb people recording in progress. You know, people on don't, the door. People don't always know how to read. It's yeah. unbelievable. We need a, wow. Maybe we should put like a red sign. It is. It's I mean, it's, it's in red. The do not disturb. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But we just maybe we just need to be a call. A comic Sans is what we need to do, Josh. So anyway, um, Mariah and I go in there. First off, there's this crazy long line. We're like, oh, my God, like we're never going to get in. And then we realize like, oh, no, like every 11 minutes they let, you know, however many people, 100, 200 people in or something. Mm -hmm. So we actually got through the line pretty quickly. And then we're in there and the uh, like the video is going and we came into the middle of the video. There is a beginning and end to this video. We came into the middle of it and we're like leaning against the wall and we're watching it. And I was just, it's like 60 bucks a ticket or something. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, let's go to one of the other exhibits. Ooh, and Mariah yeah. was like, this is it, Ryan. And I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, it's just this, this video. This immersive experience. This immersive experience. So because of my expectation, I was like, it was cool. I'm glad I did it. Um, in fact, the LA uh, production of it, there was two different rooms. So you can kind right. of get two different experiences in yeah. the video. Like, I don't want to undermine the work that went into this and sure. uh, the art mixed with the music. Yeah. You know, Tom York did some of the uh, soundtrack for it. I ever since OK Computer, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but ser- I don't want to undermine the creative um, brilliance that went into this. Yeah, but because of my expectations with it, I was so I left there like we really just spent one hundred twenty dollars to go through that. Like, wow, it was crazy, man. But again, I think there's a lesson here of like for me and maybe the patrons. I don't know. Maybe you can the live the people watching the live stream or the after live stream comment on what what is there another lesson I should take away from this? But the lesson that I have is, um, I don't know. Like, I really have to be careful with my expectations when it comes to consuming entertainment specifically. And it's not about having the right expectation. It's about not have it's because it, if you went into that with no expectation, it would have been this amazing I'm immersive probably, experience. Yeah, I probably would have been like, oh wow, cool. I had a very low. I didn't know what to expect at all. I I like you thought maybe it's going to just be a bunch of us art. Mm. I, I just didn't know what to to expect, and so I went there. I, I took Ella, mm. and it was stunning. And, but it wasn't like life changing or anything. Like, I wouldn't like even recommend it to anyone necessarily. Exactly. exactly yeah. I just if you just stumbled into that room all of a sudden and didn't even know you were going to be there, you you'd be blown away. I would have been blown away. And I could see as a kid, I could see where Ella probably like was all about it. Yeah, because it's so stimulating, but not overstimulating. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, she she definitely enjoyed it. Let's check in with the live stream. Any uh, comments right now? Any questions? Anything to talk about? We have a few comments in regards to the special items we talked about earlier. Carrie says, I took the special china and crystal that my grandmother gave me out of the china cabinet and started using it every day. It brings me joy in a way it never did while hidden away. 
That's how you avoid the the specialness spiral. I wish if I could go back in time for the three years we were married, I would say like, let's use that China every single day. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe you'd still be together today. (laughs) We also have one from Alicia. I draw and paint. And this is why I sketch on loose sheets of paper instead of a notebook. The notebook inspires a feeling of preciousness that gets in the way of learning. Totally agree with that. I rarely ever use notebooks. Yeah. Whenever I mean, whenever we do these these podcast show notes stuff, it starts out on Word Doc, Google Doc, yeah, mm-hmm. and then it eventually gets printed out and gets sketched on. And uh, we should it, talk about this. The question later about digital clutter versus oh yeah, this this is a good thing to bring up during that for sure. We'll get to more comments in the live stream soon. We'll get to some of your questions from the live stream as well. I just want to say thank you to our patrons for providing us with yes. the studio space. You've seen uh, four tours so far. If you're a true fan or VIP, we're going to make the final, the fifth tour available to everyone Mm. who's a Patreon supporter. Uh, I think it'll be a long one. We may even do a public version, a shortened, attenuated one. Uh, We'll have Jordan do an attenuated one. Then we'll do like a long one just for our patrons because once you see the writer's room downstairs as well, we basically have a second studio, uh, which is pretty cool. And, and, but we, in here especially we wanted to look like an art gallery and shout out to beulah from gold morning yeah. for doing the interior design we have carpet hopefully being installed next week which will really help out with the acoustics but also help out with the aesthetics the, the one big problem with this desk is it doesn't match this wood floor at all because look at how like the the, the reddish in it's the a, wood floor here but they don't that doesn't get on camera though does it part of it does if we're like doing a wide shot uh, okay yeah but but for the most part like when it's just close-ups no and especially yeah. these paintings when they're gonna when they're hung they they look amazing dan and i were holding them up this weekend with tim and, yeah. and john who who hang it up and it was i mean so, <sighs> so these paintings are actually landscape they're not meant to be we have a portrait right now for yes for, for this temporary kind of hop hop cobbling we've done that's right yeah um so yeah it's going to be even more beautiful than it i don't now. think that's the politically correct term anymore Ryan. <laughs> is, it, is it defensive to cobblers yeah <laughs> and hobblers <laughs> sorry cobblers and hobblers <laughs> Uh, but shout out to you patrons. Thank you so much. By the way, there's quite a few new patrons right now. Uh, welcome aboard. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't already because you're new, you probably don't know about this. But if you want to interact with other people, the best way to interact with other people is to interact with other people, meaning please put your photo on your profile on Patreon. It's not public. It's still part of the private community. Now, you might be asking, how do I do that? You can't do it from your phone. Unless you, I don't think you can. You used to not be able to. Uh, the Patreon app is a great way to listen or watch if you want, although the best way to listen or watch is our RSS feed. So if you are not sure how to do that, there's links and we actually will put a link to it in the show notes as well, where uh, how to you know, listen via RSS feed. So you can listen via your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts or it's Google Podcasts or it's Acast or Feedly or Overcast. All of these different pod catchers, they're called. You can listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It shows up as a separate private RSS feed. Do you still use Overcast? I do still use Overcast. I use the ad-free version. Oh, um, I didn't know I could do an ad-free Yeah, version. I think it's like, a dollar a month or maybe it's even less than that. I think maybe it's nine ninety nine a year. What? That's like, th- th- uh, 
it seems like at, at first glance, it seems greedy for companies to do this. Mm-hmm. We're going to charge you to not show you ads, but they have to make money somehow. Right. And, and by the way, you know how hard it is to make a intuitive, user-friendly interface? I can only imagine, man. Yeah. And so, yeah, paying them a buck a month so I don't have any ads. But, I mean, you can yeah. use Apple Podcasts. That, there's no ads on that as well. Yeah. Google Podcasts, same thing. But um, Or you can listen right there on the Patreon app, or you can listen from your computer. You can listen wherever you want. Mm-hmm. I find that most people, and only about half our audience listens on the RSS feed, if you want to listen somewhere else, great. If you, the native app, etc. Mm-hmm. I find the best place because you can speed it up, you can slow it down, you can download episodes, etc. Is via any podcatcher. Or if you want to watch the video version, you can just do that right from your computer or your phone through the Patreon app or Patreon.com/slash/The Minimalists. But also uh, put your photo next to your name. Real simple. Takes you five seconds because people really enjoy, and especially when we're. We respond to all your comments and and or at least to many of them. We see all of them. And so it's really nice to see someone's face when we're interacting with you. You're part of this community now, and we're grateful for that. So welcome aboard to the new patrons. And if you're wondering because you're new, which uh, how do I find the maximal episode that corresponds with the minimal episode? Well, that's really easy as well. Thanks to Emma, the immigrant. She set this up. Uh, If you go to just patreon.com slash the minimalists. And so, for example, this episode is the this is the maximal that corresponds with uh, episode 318. Mm. And so if you wanted to find the one that corresponds with 318, you just go to patreon.com slash the minimalist. There's a little search box there. You just type in episode 318, the word episode space 318, and then boom, it will show you. And then if you find oh the hidden clutter episode 272, what corresponds with that? Patreon.com slash the minimalists. You go type in episode space 272. It'll show you exactly which episode corresponds with that. So you can always find the ones that link up. That's awesome. Let's. uh, Oh, one other thing for VIP starting next year. If you're one of our VIP supporters, it's limited 250. There may be a few spots open. Probably not. It tends to sell out. Uh, Occasionally, someone will leave the tier or whatever. If you're a VIP, you get access to early access to all of our creations. So for mm-hmm. example, before Love People Use Things came out, up the first 18 or the 18 months before that, they were getting chapters every single in fact they got quite a few chapters that of that never even made the book. Oh wow. And so there there are chapters out there only on Patreon just for the VIPs that are out there. True fans and VIPs get access to all of our live events right now, all 20 of those live events. But Ryan and I next year are going to start making custom videos for the VIPs. You don't have to pay us any extra or anything like that as as long as you're one of the VIPs Mm -hmm. and you want a custom video. It's my mother's birthday. She'd love to get a happy birthday message from Josh and or Ryan. Mm. Great. We're happy to do that with you. All you have to do is send us a direct message on Patreon if you are a VIP for at least three months Mm -hmm. and we will go ahead and send you whatever video you want up into including illegal acts. Ryan (laughs) and I will break into a bank for you just for the prank (laughs) and we'll think it's hilarious. But yeah, if you want us to, because here's the thing, people often ask us for a, a video and I don't want to charge anyone for a video, but I can't possibly do thousands and thousands of videos right. every year. So this is just an extra way, a nice way to say, hey, I know you 
are asking for this. A lot of people ask us. Yeah. And so this is this is your opportunity to get a personalized video. What yeah. what are some examples of someone you you and I were talking about this in the bathroom? People ask earlier. for birthdays all the time. Oh my my cousin's a big fan of yours. It means so much if you just send them a video. I mean it's yeah we get asked that a lot. And here's the thing with the VIPs we want to give you as much as we can. We want to we want to make it worth your while. So this is just one other thing that. Uh, that we we will give you for your for your VIP patronage. We yep. really appreciate it, and honestly, cannot do any of this without y'all. Amen. We got so much to talk about, Ryan. So let's talk about it. Yes. Where do we even start? So personal failures over the last eleven years, mm. or maybe even beyond that. This is a great roomy quote. I meant to talk about this on the luxury items podcast three episodes ago. These pains you feel are messengers. Mm. Listen to them. Mm, I like that. When I first stumbled into minimalism, there were a lot of messengers in my life, a lot of pain, and it points to where to go, what to let go of, mm. really, mm-hmm. so that you can go where you want to go. It may not even tell you where to go, but it can point toward the failures, the things that are making us miserable. And so if I define failure that way, like what is making me miserable? Mm. That's not failure in the canonical sense of the word. Failure in society is, oh, we lost the big game. I must have failed. I didn't get the six-figure salary. I didn't get the promotion. I must have failed. Okay, fine. But the real failure in any of those things is if they make you miserable. Mm. I mean, Ryan, let's say that uh, I'm promoting you to regional manager at the telecom company today. That sounds like a success, but you would not be happy about that. Can I just be regional manager of minimalism? <laughs> yes. <laughs> of the minimalists. You could be uh, the sales manager. Nice. Yeah. But the thing is, like, if I were to give that to you, it sounds like uh, maybe 15 years ago, it would have been a huge success win for mm-hmm. you, right? Mm-hmm. But if I gave that to you today, it would increase your misery. Mm. Here's the, here's the mm. unfortunate part. It often increased our misery 15 years ago as well. Oh, yeah. All of these so-called successes, these wins, these um, accomplishments, mm. they weren't accomplishments. If they're making us miserable, they're anti-accomplishments. They're accomplishing misery in our lives. Mm. And so quite often, we don't want to be happy. And this is mm. hard. This is a hard thing to say because let's say that my 27 year old self really wanted to be happy or he thought he did right your 27 year old self thought you wanted to be happy sure but i wasn't willing to let go of my job at 27 yeah the job was one of the things that was making me miserable Mm. many of my relationships including the toxic ones or including my marriage which was not toxic at all my first marriage was a great friendship Mm. and roommate situation but it wasn't an outstanding marriage. Now, most of that is on me and I've owned up to it. Mm. But the real failure there was staying in something, asking someone else to be miserable for me so I could be miserable for them. Yeah. Mm. Not letting go. And then what happens when you don't let go? You drag the people you're with Mm -hmm. or they or you get dragged by them just because you continue to cling. Yeah. Mm. Do you have any failures that really stand out to you over the last oh, yeah. 11 years? So many. Or even before we oh, found minimalism? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, definitely before. Over the last 11 years, it would be pretty unsexy things. But, you know, the... Like, I, I think about my 27-year-old self and the decisions I would make. It's almost like I chose pleasure over happiness, which yes. seems really weird. But there are these, you know, little ephemeral bits of pleasure right. that I would go out knowing that a week, two weeks, a month, two months, however much long, longer later, I knew it was going to lead to some type of misery. Mm. And I knew it wasn't going to lead to happiness. But like the pleasure was more important to me than the happiness. Um, and then I think about you staying uh, with your ex and it's almost like you're choosing success over happiness. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, well, if I leave, I'm going to be a failure. I don't want to be a failure. I want to be successful. Well, being successful actually, it, lead, it leads to the opposite of happiness. It leads to discontentment. Is that the opposite of happiness? Well, here's the thing. It depends on who you talk to and what you mean by happiness. I, if you were to talk to Anthony DeMello about happiness, he mm. would say happiness is the same thing as contentment or freedom or truth or awareness. Mm. If you talk to Kapil Gupta about happiness, he would say happiness is the biggest lie our culture has ever sold us. Happiness mm. does not exist. Mm. And, and so I, I tend to skew more toward the happiness doesn't exist piece. And here's why I say that because we... It, it's like the word love in many ways mm. where we use that word to describe all these different states. We can say happiness when we mean pleasure. Or we can say happiness when we mean bliss or contentment or joy or mm -hmm. peace and all of these different states. In fact, some of them are antithetical to to the other. As you just talked about, nothing wrong with pleasure, but the chase of pleasure the seeking of pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure mm. is actually what gets in the way of our contentment. So yeah. most of us don't value contentment. We value chaos. And this is not a bad or a good thing. It, because if you have too much order, you're going to be paralyzed by order. If you have too much chaos, you'll be paralyzed by chaos. And so it's not about, well, which is good, which is bad. Neither. Which do you prefer and how much of it do you prefer? Some people truly prefer chaos. I think about Dan Blazarian. You know, we've talked about him a few times. He, he's sort of the hedonist mm. where it's 20 naked women and machine guns and sports cars and mansions. He's sort of the paragon, actually the parody mm. of success. Mm -hmm. When you think about him, you, you, you think about excess being success and in our culture we're taught that success is excess we're not successful we're excessful mm. and many of those things are making us miserable mm. and they're making us miserable because of the chaos it's too much chaos for any one person for Dan, maybe it's the appropriate amount of chaos. Yeah. But then we say, see that and say, that's what I need in my life. I need more pleasure. I need more sensation. I need more taste. I need more sensory experience. I need more stuff. I need more square footage. I need more, 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 when maybe what I actually need is less. So it's interesting. It's almost like happiness is it's a moving target. And it's kind of like, well, think about the word love, right? There's all those um, different words for love in the Greek language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agape. Yeah. 
And there's probably even more like, you know, there's seven different words for love. There's probably even more than that to like uh, situations for love. Yes. So maybe pleasure is a type of happiness, but it's ephemeral. Contentment is a type of happiness, longer lasting, mm-hmm. um, more meaningful. Yeah. I don't know. It's, inter- it's interesting because I could see where happiness doesn't exist or there's so much nuance to happiness that it's just like a constant moving target. target. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the, the, here's the problem with happiness. Hmm. The problem with happiness is that we chase it. We pursue it. We strive for it. We attempt to acquire happiness. So our problem with happiness is that it's making us miserable. Mm. How ironic is that? Yeah. So it's not the, it's not happiness is the problem. The chase is the problem. And when you chase something, especially something that makes you feel as good as happiness, especially pleasure, mm-hmm. that version of happiness, that is where you start to forsake everything around you for that little, that little dopamine burst. I like where you're going here because what you're saying is there are many versions of happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And most of them are actually turned into pursuits Mm. they're turned into chases even with peace if you chase peace if you pursue peace you're never going to get there you can't run after peace it's already right here inside you Mm. and yet we try to acquire the right things that will give me peace no 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 it's not about adding it's always about subtracting if there is excess in the way Mm. now ryan the pursuit of happiness which, by the way, is one of the biggest mistakes I made. Mm. And I would even say, like, I stopped pursuing that five years after the minimalists. Right, right. Yeah. Talk about that. Oh, I, you know, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember watching this Bugs Bunny cartoon, and uh, I forget what character it was, but like they're climbing the, you know, the mountain to go see the guru. And, uh, they finally, you know, make it to the top of the mountain and the gurus in this building. I, yeah. I forget which cartoon character it was from that whole, you know, Warner Brothers era. But anyway, they're like, I'm here. And uh, they, the guru was like, oh, what can I do for you? And they're like, well, I need to know the secret to life. Yeah. And the guru like gets ready to say something and like the cartoon ends. And, like you don't get the answer, right? And I remember seeing different versions of this. What is the secret to life? What is the meaning of life? As a kid, I remember like that coming up a lot. And um, as a Jehovah's Witness, as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, I was raised to know exactly what the meaning of life was and where everything was going. And I, I'm kind of like trying to figure it out as a young child. And I realized like, oh, like really all of this, it just leads to happiness. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Jehovah's Witness or, or uh, a Satan worshiper, whatever it is, we're all just trying to be happy. And I remember feeling like very intelligent, like, oh, I, I know the answer to life. It is to be happy. Mm. So like that was the whole point of my life for the majority of my life, right? figuring out how to be happy. And you can gain that as we just talked about in different forms. And at its, you know, at its terminus in the corporate days, it was all of the ephemeral pleasures that were making me, you know, happy. Actually, I don't even have to do air quotes. Technically, that is a form of happiness. Sure. 
it was the wrong form of happiness though. And for you, for me. So when, you know, I came across minimalism, it was like, oh, an opportunity to like pursue happiness in a meaningful way. Mm. It was like to do it in a responsible way. Mm. And that's what really resonated with me because there's all these common sense things like, yes, be deliberate with your time. Don't own too many things. Don't, uh, don't, don't, don't be consumed by debt. Don't be consumed by the chase of consumerism because all of these things are different, different tools, different forms, whatever of getting those ephemeral happinesses that I was chasing so much. So that was like, oh, this is here's the responsible way to get happiness. It's through actually wanting less. And what I've what I learned, I, I don't know how many years into it, but it was it was just a certain point where I was like, oh, like happiness is not the point. Yeah, it's still a chase. It's still a chase. And even if I did somehow responsibly, let's say responsibly gained happiness, it still was ephemeral. So there's still a lacking, right? Mm. So um, I don't know when we started talking about, uh, you know, instead of pursuing happiness, it was pursuing a meaningful life, but a few years into it. Yeah, but um, what a great and that has led to other things too, where Oh man, because again, like being one of Jehovah's Witnesses, like you have all the answers. You know exactly why things are the way they are. Christianity yeah. is a great mechanism for like devil, bad, God, good. Now here are the things we can label devil. Here are the things we can label, label God. Live a good life. That version of Christianity, yeah, the, yeah, right. It, it lacks the sort of. Here's the problem with that is like the the labeling of things good and bad we're it's we're so steeped in that mm -hmm. we talked about that a bit on the minimal while well, I was having that conversation with Danny about the word inferior is not good or bad the word void is not good or but as soon as you hear it right in fact any any word that you deem to be good has a quote-unquote bad side and vice versa sure yeah there's like a oh I love that there's um there's a book called king magician lover warrior mm -hmm. I don't know if it's it's those four titles. I don't know if it's in that order, okay. <laughs> but but that, that's the, the the gist of the title. And there's like the like the the the, the warrior in their power is like a protector, someone who stands up for themselves, stands up for others. A warrior in like the shadow side of it is like a tyrant, basically. Yes. Or yes. yeah. So um, just to uh, you know illustrate your point, there is a there's a light side and a dark side to everything. Yeah, I, I totally agree with. And that. even even those like we think of light as good dark is bad but like well i'm talking about the metaphor no i know yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm saying but we, even even there is mm. we assign good and bad to virtually everything yeah if i say uh you're being complacent or if i okay so what like yeah. you want to or, or uh you were responsible earlier that mm -hmm. we think of that as good right mm -hmm. but responsibility is a prison man mm. and oh but prison is that the now you're saying it's bad okay well if someone killed your sister you'd want them to go to prison is prison mm -hmm. a bad thing mm -hmm. okay so like it's it's never good or bad and if, if there's one major takeaway that i've gotten because i'll tell you this 2021 has probably been the most insightful year of my life mm. The end of 2020. <laughs> I feel that about every last year of my life though. <laughs> oh i i didn't man until like in fact, they were all very similar. It's October of 2020. I remember I, I started uh, really sort of sort of uh, have 
I had this awakening mm. and a lot of it was birthed out of the pain that I experienced from the last three years of this illness, this autoimmune disease that, that I've had. Mm. And there was great pain, but there was also great suffering, mental anguish. And when you reach a certain point, you begin to understand viscerally what matters. And I knew previous to that what mattered intellectually. Mm. But like when I really understood it and I understood the beauty, one of my favorite novels is a uh, novel called Angels by Dennis Johnson. It came out in 1984 and uh, spoiler alert. It's a beautiful book, but toward the end, the main character, Bill Houston, he's been convicted of murder and he's going to the electric chair mm. and he sees how beautiful the mountains outside are for the first time. I think he's in Colorado or somewhere mm. and actually sees the, be the beauty that was there the whole time. Mm. He finally is awake. It's not until you know it's like the last time you see. Yeah, and that happened to me mm. in 2019 was sort of the nadir of of my adult life. So much pain, so much suffering. And out of that was birthed a, a new awareness, mm. not an intellectual awareness, but a heart awareness, a compassion for myself, a compassion for the rest of humanity that I don't think I, I really had mm. before. And also an unwillingness to tolerate the things that are making me so unhappy. Because mm. here's the truth. The things... Here's the truth. Your pursuit of happiness mm -hmm. is what is making you miserable. Mm -hmm. And my God, why didn't I realize it was right there in front of me all those years? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't see it for what it was. And so I kept trying to pursue it. And the more I pursued it, the more miserable I got, the higher my expectations went, the loss of joy, the loss of contentment, the loss of peace the loss of freedom mm. because I was so tethered to a lifestyle that was the opposite of happiness. Yeah, it was hustle. It was rush. It was competition. It was striving. It was in many ways meaningless too. I still say you'd get joy out of beating me in ping pong though. <laughs> so so man, so let me continue on this road of, uh, you know, having this right and wrong, having the answers to things. Um, I, there's a lot of people in my family. I have friends. They love to say everything happens for a reason. Oh, everything happens for a reason. It's part of God's plan. And I used to buy into that BS. And, you know, it's like now I have, I've gotten so comfortable with things not having a reason. Why are we here? Who the heck knows? You think you have the answer as to why we're here and how we got here? Okay. Like, it's 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 absurd. It's almost pompous to think that you have the right answer on why how we got here. A lot of hubris in that. Yeah, and it and I just I look at my past self with content with with content because it's like I was such a high and mighty on my pedestal. Oh, these poor these I want to say these poor simpletons, but now that we call our audience simpletons, I can't say that anymore. Um, these poor people, they just don't understand. Oh, you know, maybe God will draw them closer to him one day. And um, I just look at myself with just what a pretentious jerk I was. And so well, one of the biggest lessons, um, and this was again in this like book I was um, 
uh, listening to uh, about stoicism, they they were talking about death specifically, but this can be applied to anything in life that we don't understand. The truth is the truth, no matter what your beliefs are. Like it, the truth does not care about your beliefs. So when it comes to something like death, you could be a Jehovah's Witness all day long and preach how you have the chance to never die. I mean, that's that's what Jehovah's Witnesses preach, man. If you become a Jehovah's Witness, the world is so bad right now. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to clean up our room for us. He's going to kill all the bad people, and you will never die. Doesn't that sound amazing? It does sound amazing. It's ridiculous. Mm. We Death is imminent. Mm-hmm. There is a there is no life without death, really. I mean, we could like kind of go down that road if you want to. So death, death, regardless of your beliefs, it is. So instead of fearing it, instead of it being this like shadowy thing that lurks and that you avoid, it's like you pull it up and you sit next to it and like you, you get comfortable with it. It's the same thing I was talking about in the minimal episode with the void. You get comfortable with the void. Like these are things that we try to avoid, avoid the void, avoid death, whatever it is. But really, there are certain truths that these mechanisms are built around to help us avoid. Mm-hmm. And I have learned how unhealthy those, those mechanisms are. So I've, I've learned to let go a lot of those specifically with the, hey, sometimes things just are, and it doesn't make sense. And that is, that is so much more freeing. My mom sent me a, uh, a video this morning. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna go see her. Uh, we're heading out tomorrow. She sends me a video. Ryan, she sends to me a Mariah. Please promise me you'll watch this video on the way to, on the way to Ohio, on the way to Ohio tomorrow. Just, and you know it's not a silly cat video. Just promise me. Yeah, I was like pretty sure. I thought it was like a movie. I pulled up and it's this guy who used to work for the CIA and there's a there's a war with aliens and the government doesn't want to talk about. It. I mean, it's just like this whole the, the like five minutes into it, I'm like, <sighs> mom, no, I'm not going to promise you that I'm going to watch. I don't watch videos like this anymore. Like I'm done with conspiracies. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, the religion I used to belong to, it's a conspiracy. It's one big giant conspiracy. So I don't do that to myself anymore. And <laughs> I responded back. She's like, well, you know, um, you know, I just, I know the truth because I have a great relationship with God and I read the Bible and I wish that, oh boy. you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, mom. Okay. Let's say that this video video that you sent me, it's true. Everything and it's true. Everything you're telling me is true. It's all truth. What do we do now? How do we live our lives now? How does this change? How does this change my life moving forward? What a great question. Yeah, and then she's like, well, you know, I just I'm not going to be surprised when the global elite try to take over this world and the the aliens show up and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, me either. I won't be surprised. I'll give I'll give myself permission to not be surprised by that either mom. And by the way, alien show tomorrow. She's going to be the most surprised. (laughs) We're all still going to be surprised. This is a this is a very um, it's it's almost parodic, but it's a real example. Yeah, yeah. It it um, seems this seems like the the parodic example of what people make fun of online. Yeah. So it, this so this is like an extreme example of what I'm trying to get at. Sure. But like I see all the pain and anguish, and I just have compassion for my mom, like what she's putting herself through, trying to figure it all out. Why is it the way it is? Yeah. And. 
I've stopped trying to figure it out in that sense. There are some things I'm figuring out in life, but you know why we're here, why people are the way they are, why certain government entities are the way they are. It's like that is just, oh, the, the book um, that I'm looking at right now that I'm listening to, it talks about how fearing death is a waste of time. So, so fearing the unknown is a waste of time because it is unknown. Yeah. You will never know it. Yeah. So having, having some, being fearful of something that is unknown, um, th- there's just, there's no, there's, there's not a whole lot of merit to it. Can we talk about the fear behind that? Cause I, I, I agree with you that we have this fear of the unknown, but only in circum- certain circumstances. Mm. We don't have a fear of what it was like before we were alive. Yeah. We were dead before we were alive. Mm-hmm. In the obvious sense of the world, as in we were not alive, right? Yeah. And then at some point we became alive. We potentially, if you listen to someone like uh, Peter Singer, maybe we lacked personhood for the first two years because you don't have any memories. Well, I, I think you actually said you have one memory of you in a crib at one point. I do. Yeah. yeah. But like you don't have beyond that. The average human has no memories, usually the first two to three years of their life. So mm-hmm. you, one could even argue that is there even personhood there or is it a different type of being? They're mm-hmm. so human beings, obviously. Yeah. But as we get older, we begin to have different types of experience. We know that we have experience. We're sentient. We're also conscious beings. And yet we lose our consciousness every night and we don't fear that one bit. As a kid, you kind of don't want to go to sleep, especially if it's during the day. You don't want to take a nap. And that sounds absurd at first, but I think we as adults are the same way in a, in a way. Like remember when they would force you to take a nap at some point as a kid and like you didn't want to take that nap. I hated it, man. I hated it. And why did you hate it? Because it was a, I couldn't play. Honestly, that's what it was. It interrupted my playtime. It interrupted being a child and experiencing life and all those little dopamine hits you get. You, you, it was it was forcing me to shut my brain down. I did not want to shut my brain down. And you wanted more. You wanted yes. more experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, that's also what we fear in death, mm. because it's someone saying, "Hey, it's time to take a nap now," mm-hmm. and you're gonna miss out on eons of playtime. Yeah, eons of experience, which we've already missed out on. Exactly. We've already missed out on and it's inevitable as you said that we're going to miss out. In fact, we're missing out on most of the things that are happening in the world right now, but in the things that have happened. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so I think what we ultimately are afraid of is we're afraid of missing out. (laughs) It's like the ultimate FOMO. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Death is the ultimate FOMO. Mm. Mm. Let's let's turn over to the chat. Do we have any uh, live stream here? Shout out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. Do you have any questions from the chat in Alabama? We do. Ricardo asks, based on the last 11 years of friendship, what have been the best and worst parts? Oh, I'll tell you the worst part. I had an ex-girlfriend who made Josh and I's friendship miserable. Yeah. <laughs> she was just so jealous, man. Go back and listen to the decade or less episode. We talked about that in yeah. depth. She brutal. She almost ruined our relationship. I was thinking about this other I day. I don't know if she almost, well, maybe she did for you, but it was more about like she just, she's just never made it more difficult. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Well, no, she almost ruined it in this sense, Ryan. Like, I knew at some point I'd have to put some distance between me and you because she was actively trying to sabotage my life. Yeah. If someone's trying to stab you, literally, yeah. you make some distance. But right. she was trying to stab me emotionally, mm. psychologically, etc. Yeah. yeah. And um, not only that, but like her brother, I mean, like, yeah, brother in law. Like, it's, uh, yeah, I. I was on a lot of opiates. Yeah. <laughs> Opioids, I should say. Right, right. And uh, opioids uh, being the the synthetic version. And it's funny because like looking back, I was just I was covering up the the truth. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And because so, a sober, I would not have allowed that to go on as much as I did. There's a there's a different type of clutter, right? It's yeah. it, your, your life was cluttered by drugs. Yeah. And in fact, when I did sober up, yes. that's when I was like, oh, wow, like what is going on? This is perfect, right? So, so <laughs> you had a, a, a awakening, and that's all it took to let go. There was no seven steps on how to get rid of my toxic girlfriend, right? Yeah, it's seeing things for how they are. It's mm. understanding. And uh, when I was talking to Danny the other day about some of these things, he can't help it because he's so programmed. Like everyone in our society, how do you do this? Mm. And imagine if you would have come to me and said, "How do I let go of my toxic girlfriend?" <laughs> No, no, no. As soon as you saw her for what she was. Step one, see the truth. Step two, let go. Yeah. Step one, <laughs> see the truth. And then it just evaporates. Yeah. You you so it's, it, you turn into Homer Simpson backing into the bush just to get out of there like uh, very slowly, but mm -hmm. but intentionally. Right. And so uh, we've been friends for 30 years now, 30 years this year, and we met in the fifth grade, but and the narrative overlay is Ryan and I have been best friends since we were fat little fifth graders and that's true, but but really we met you were best friends with uh, a kid named Pacho mm -hmm. and I was best friends with my brother Jerome mm -hmm. and like Pacho and Jerome were friends and so you and I sort of were on the periphery of that in a way. Yeah, well I he met Jerome through me being friends with you and then they ended up being friends. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. It, my, my point is that you and I we knew each other, but then we became closer in that environment mm -hmm. where there were there were four of us basically who were inseparable for oh, a long period of time. Days. Remember we would do the um we would fight and you weren't allowed to hit above the shoulders or below the waist. Yes. And you just like go until someone gives up. Yeah, I was the worst at that between the four of us <laughs> and you and Jerome would go at it. man. I mean, he you didn't stand a chance against him if he took the gloves off, no. but boxing like yeah. you, would, you would piss him off. I know he gets so mad. I, okay, so best times though. Best times is 2014 for me. It might have been the worst time for you because of all the traveling we had to do oh, it was great. I, yeah, but like um. We got to like just yeah spend pretty much every day with each other. Um, all the different cities we saw, all the different people we met, all the you know the thousands of hugs we gave out. Um, man, I just yeah, I'll never, I will never forget. Like that year was like a pretty. It was like a year of growth. It was a year of experience. There was just so much during that year. Yes, it was also a year of deeper understanding in so many ways because mm -hmm. I remember we started that tour in Florida and we had four tour stops in Florida. We did Tampa, Miami, Jacksonville, Orlando, and we were in Orlando and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> we're only 4% of the way into this. We have 96 more cities to go. Yeah. And I just it, stopped thinking about it. I did the same thing to myself because like it, is so, and by the way, that happened to me this time. We started Love People Use Things Tour. We were in Houston. 
<laughs> and I'm like, this is our third city or it was our second city. We have eight more of these. We're still in the halfway through, by the way. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we have nine cities down, 11 more to go. Oh, man. But then we hit this stride. I remember um, our last two legs or waves, the last two waves in particular, uh, when we were in the mountain states and Salt Lake City was just amazing. And then yeah. Denver was amazing and Phoenix was amazing. And then Orlando was all right. But but then um, Atlanta and Nashville magical, especially yeah. Atlanta. And and so you. You do all of these things to set up the moment and these things go really well mm-hmm. when I don't have an expectation when I don't try to replicate it. Mm-hmm. Atlanta was so was such a magical night because I didn't know what to expect at all. And I tried slightly to replicate that the following night because we had TK out again in Nashville. And I'm like, mm. oh, this was cool. It was a really good event. But like, you can't, as soon as you try to replicate something, you cling to it. Yeah. The other time you cling to something is when you try to renounce it. Mm. That's another big lesson I've learned from our friendship, but also from minimalism is at first I thought minimalism was going to be about being monastic in a way. I renounce these things, right? Well, no, that just tethers me to them. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm forever defined by those things. It's like my mom was an alcoholic and and when she was most tied to her alcoholism is yeah. when she was sober. Mm, yeah, because she was so tethered to renouncing it. I'm doing that now with I got a buddy who uh, I'm trying to go back off of the news and um, we made this commitment where we would, we would text each other every day like, OK, did you, you know another day I made it? And like every time I text them, I'm like, I feel even more tethered <laughs> to the news now mm, than when I was, renounced it when I was checking it every single day. Yeah, it's really weird. <clears throat> so the middle ground is what it's not clinging. It's not renouncing and detaching. It's seeing it for what it is. Yeah, because the news isn't bad or good. The news in our current sense is a corporate entity that tries to sell us products. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's meant to get your eyeballs so they can sell you Tide and Liberty Mutual Insurance. (laughs) If you don't know this one tip, you'll die more after this (laughs) (laughs) brought to you by Pfizer. (laughs) All right. Alabama's got some surprise questions for us. (laughs) Let's turn to Audra. How do you feel about the onset of cloud storage and digital photos? Is it a boon that you now have replaced a lot of physical photo books and souvenirs with digital photos, or is it just a different type of clutter in life now? I'm going to be frank mm. with you. Yeah, I think digital clutter is not as big of a problem as physical clutter. It's almost like I don't know why this image is coming to my head, but I'm thinking about a field of grass. Like that field is now that cluttered with blades of grass. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. that's how digital storage feels to me. It's like it's even less of a of a thing because it's technically not a thing. There you go. It's a concept, basically. Yeah, it's it zeros is. and ones. It's a concept that you can bring into the real world and visualize, like literally have a visualization of it. But it's yes, yeah. But it's a. It's to me like the blades of grass in a field are more cluttered than the than the cloud. And I love looking at a field of grass. Oh, wow. Yeah, I look at the cloud or cloud storage or digital clutter as though it's just part of the Internet. It's part of the 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 world of zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I doesn't mean to, to say that it can't be a problem for you. It certainly can. Yeah. And the reason the internet is organized the way it is, you know, we use URLs. If mm-hmm. I want to go to our website, you type in theminimalists.com mm-hmm. or just minimalists.com or theminimalists.net because we're cool. Oh, yeah. Check out theminimalists.net. It's yeah. a totally different totally, experience. Yeah, y'all. check it out. It's 10% cooler. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you go there, you go there even though it's not really that just redirects you to a series of numbers basically on the back end, mm-hmm. right? Which because mm-hmm. you don't want to give out one nine two dot four seven three dot eight, you know, whatever it is, right? The the actual IP address, which is just a, a string of numbers. Mm-hmm. We organize the Internet in a way so you can get around from place to place. If it wasn't organized like that, it was just a bunch of zeros and ones. It'd be much more difficult if you didn't have hyperlinks. Yeah, it'd be much more difficult to jump around from place to place. The same thing is true. We just upgraded our digital storage for the minimalist. We we have a team plan through Mm. Dropbox. You can also use Google photo or there are a bunch of other uh, services out there. Box is one of them. I I don't have an allegiance to any particular service. But even then, I try to organize the folders or the photos that I have. I'll name the people who are in the photo, what year it was taken, etc. So I don't have to worry about those things. Yeah. But you're never going to reach the end of the Internet. You're not going to make it to the end of Wikipedia even. Right. So I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about. Yes, Wikipedia is cluttered. It's not yours to worry about. The question for you is, are you creating digital clutter? Mm for your own life. Now, what is clutter? Clutter simply means it's getting in the way. Mm. My digital life doesn't get in my way at all because I've organized it in a way. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you want to go back, listen to episode 272 called Hidden Clutter. Ryan and I talked about some of the services that are available so you can tidy up some of the digital clutter, Mm -hmm. but also recognizing if it doesn't get in the way, then it's not actually clutter in the first place. The only issue I have with any type of cloud type internet-y, I don't know, that stuff is like Bitcoin is a legit problem now with the server farms. Yes. So there are certain things that have to do with the zeros and ones. And I'm just like looking at the exception to what we're talking about that legit damage the environment. Right. So you're talking about a byproduct of our digital clutter or of our digital Correct. world. But but if but if it was just sitting on a server somewhere like my pictures, right. Like that's not as detrimental as these farms that they have, these server farmers that they have that are legit like messing with the environment. Yeah. We we spend more electricity on mining bitcoin mm-hmm. than some countries use. Yeah. an entire year. Yeah, it's crazy. And so you're right. The byproducts of some of these things can enter the real world. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about storing your photos or we're talking about your home movies or whatever. We're talking about your DVDs. So why is digital clutter less problematic for me? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm only saying for me, for you, it could be even more of a problem. But for me, it's because I don't want to have a thousand DVDs. I don't want to have 2000 compact discs at home. Mm. My phone has access to functionally unlimited music. 
either the CDs that you can't get streaming, but I burned and or not even burned. I put them onto the, the cloud. Mm-hmm. So now I have access to them from anywhere or the photos that instead of them being in my basement or my closet where they could get damaged by a fire or a flood or something like that. They're actually backed up on a hard drive and in the cloud. So if anything were to happen to those things, the physical things, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't matter because I have a backup. And then I realize, oh, wait a minute, because I have a backup, maybe I don't even need the physical component at all. If we're talking about clearing the clutter, that's what we want to do. We want to get rid of the things that are in the way. And if your digital storage enables you to get rid of the excess physical clutter, the man, to me, it's not a, uh, it's not a problem at all. Yeah. I got a question here from Ryan from Patreon. Outside of minimizing physical stuff, what have you learned so far about minimizing the internal elements of life, like stress, depression, and worry? So to worry yeah. about something is simply to pray for something bad to happen in the future. <laughs> Yeah, this question makes me think about how we've how I already talked about why worrying is kind of pointless. Um, I mean, w- w- to worry is a symptom. So if you're worrying about something, I can look at it and uh, like say, okay, is this a symptom of something I need to uh, bring my attention or my resources towards, or is it something I can't control? And if it's something I can't control, then I have certainly learned to declutter that that worry. Yeah. So stress is often a sign that something is amiss. Mm. Now, usually that something has to do with our expectations. Mm. There are two types of fear. There's a real fear, which is present and immediate danger. Yes. This is the only type of fear that hunter gatherers have, like the Hadza or the Maasai. If a bear breaks through that door mm-hmm. and comes in the room right now, mm-hmm. you and I are going to have real fear. Yes, Jordan is and he's going to wrestle the bear to the ground. That's right. But you and I mere (laughs) mortals. He's just waiting for that moment in his life. (laughs) (laughs) You look over. He has a machete in his hand. (laughs) Someone say bear. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he takes off his Mickey Mouse watch or whatever he's wearing today. (laughs) And anyway, and but that's clear and present danger. Mm. It makes sense to have fear. There's a biological imperative. In fact, there's something wrong with you if you don't have a fear response to that. Yeah, there's something actually wrong with your biological programming with the way you are wired as a human being because we are meant to have fear in those situations. Yes. The problem we have is now all of a sudden we have that same fear because oh no, the house that I wanted to buy just went on market and someone else put an offer on it. Mm. I'm terrified. I'm worried. No, I'm not going to get the thing that I really want. It's going to make me happy. Mm. It's going to make me content. It's going to make me more complete. No, it's not. That's a that's a chase. Yeah. No wonder we get so stressed out because we're chasing everything based on our expectations. Mm. And if we are chasing, of course, we're going to be more stressed out. Mm. And so the letting go of stress often has to do with the stopping of the chasing. Mm-hmm. Now, you use the word depression here. We had John Deloney at our Houston event earlier this year, mm-hmm. and he talked about we only use two words these days. It's anxiety and depressed. And it's like, oh, yeah, my uh, my mom just yelled at me. I'm, I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. My wife just left me. I'm depressed. My boss yelled at me. I'm depressed. 
Like, nah, you're not really. You're just, meh. Mm. And part of it has to do with the language we're using. Like, I've actually experienced real depression because all the, the autoimmune stuff I had going on and the dysbiosis and the parasite and the E. coli poisoning that I had. It caused this disruption in, in my microbiome that caused significant real chemical depression. Mm. But most of us, when we say we're depressed, it's, we're not talking about that. We're talking about I'm a little sad because my girlfriend left me. Mm. So I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious because my 401k account isn't performing the way I want it to perform. Is that really anxiety? Mm. Or is it tethered to an expectation? I need this to perform this way. I need this person in order to be happy. Mm. In fact, even if it means making that person miserable, I need them so much that I'm willing to make myself miserable in order to retain them. That's not happiness. Mm. That is, that's going to cause anxiety, stress, discontent. And the way to clutter, the, declutter those isn't to declutter the stress. It's to declutter our expectations that are causing the stress, causing the so-called depression, causing the worry in our lives. Mm. Because if we don't worry, if we let go of the worry, we have nothing to worry about. Mm. Mm. We have one more question here from Tammy. Looking back on the past 11 years, is there anything you did at the beginning of your journey that you would change if you could? I don't think so, ma'am. I mean, you know, usually the answer, oh, I would have started sooner or I would have invested in Apple. I don't know, dude. <laughs> but the problem is, is if I change anything, then I would be a different person today. And I don't know if I'd be better or worse. So I would err on the side of not changing anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm with you. If, if, if we had to change one thing, I probably would have started the podcast a bit sooner. So we started the podcast six years ago this month. When do you think podcast really started taking off? Was it about six years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that somewhere depends on, on 2014, 2015. Probably 2015, 2016, 2017. Before then, there were certainly podcasters. So it was perfect timing. I think it was great timing. Mm -hmm. But what I would love to have done is I, I really would have enjoyed like getting a few years of practice under our belts <laughs> rather first. Than, rather than starting out as amateurs in 2015, we could have been yeah. a little bit more polished. Right. Right. And uh, in fact, some of our most popular episodes, because I don't know if it's an OCD thing or whatever, some of our most popular episodes are like episode number one. Right. It's like, that's not where to start. <laughs> start with like episode 300. Yeah. And then if you really want to dive back into the archives, great. There's some real nuggets in there. In fact, there's some things that I would never talk about minimalism the same way I did back then. And so yeah. I find that for some people, those episodes might be useful. Yeah. But if you need a primer on minimalism, yeah, you probably want to start somewhere around episode 250, 300 of the Minimalist Podcast. Yeah. And, and so I'll tell you this. I, I really developed this because I let go of many of my expectations. Mm. I developed, it enabled me to develop this. What did we call it when we brought Emma out here? this irrational confidence. <laughs> Some people might call it naivety. You mean this um, American confidence? Maybe um, <laughs> this. I can do whatever I put my mind towards and no one can stop me. 
Y- yes. Um, which is which I would actually rather have that confidence than the opposite of that. Yeah. What's the alternative, right? Yeah. It is, but it also does. It, it, it makes you look at some things with hindsight and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have had that much confidence. Yeah. Or it makes me look at something and I'm like, oh, yeah, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Like the Emma thing. We tried to bring him out here, but it was impossible to get her a visa. Turns out it's really hard to become an American citizen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you don't have like the the quote unquote right credentials. If she had a yeah. PhD or something, yeah. we could have, you know, we could have figured that out. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, but that same irrational confidence it's not actually irrational it's just like everything's going to be okay by the Mm -hmm. way every mystic tradition the catholics the christians the buddhists the uh uh, sufis the hindus if you look at the mystics from those cultures Mm -hmm. they all agree on one thing everything's okay Mm. everything's going to be okay as Mm -hmm. well yeah and why is that? Is that an irrational confidence? No, it's just merely knowing that there's nothing you can do about it anyway. So it's already okay right now. The only time it's not okay is when we try to do something about yeah. it. About it. And so, yes, I have this quote unquote irrational confidence, but it is enabled. It's only because I haven't had expectations. Mm. When we set out to do theminimalists.com at first it was like yeah i'll figure out how to build a website from scratch mm-hmm. i tried to do html I'm like what am i doing here right <laughs> and I'll never forget that phone call right you're like we can't do this website yeah i was like f this like yeah. you're like i'm gonna have to go to school to learn how to do this <laughs> yeah and then yeah. someone mentioned uh what do we use now we use wordpress yeah. and which by the way if you want to see the step-by-step instructions we used what is it, 11 years ago mm-hmm. to start the website mm-hmm. the slash blog. It's literally because so many people ask like oh, this website's really beautiful. And it's like, how'd you do it? We just kind of cobbled it together mm. over the course of several months. And by the way, our website still looks very similar to the to what it did the day at launch. It's a little bit simpler, a little bit cleaner now, mm-hmm. but that's because we when we built it, then we started subtracting a few things mm-hmm. from it yeah. to get down to the essence. Mm. And so we started the website. It was an irrational cop because if I would have known how much it took at first to try the HTML thing, I wouldn't have even started. Mm. And then with social media, imagine if the expectation was we need to have two million followers on social media like what we have now. Is that how many we have? Yeah, I, I would be. I would have been so overwhelmed. I wouldn't wow. even because that was never the point anyway. There was no expectation around it mm. or making the film with Matt Diavella. When we first reached out to him, we made a book trailer. It went really well. So, hey, how about we make a film together? Mm-hmm. Now, if I would have known how difficult it was going to be to make a film, I don't think we would have done it. Mm. And it certainly would have turned out the way that it did because mm-hmm. we had no money. There was zero budget for it, right? Yeah. It's one of the lies we're, we're told as well. It's going to cost you so much money to make this thing. Mm. Well, maybe if you need high production value and all this other stuff, but mm-hmm. if you want to make something meaningful without that, there are ways to do it. We've mm-hmm. proven that again yeah. and again, right? The website costs us almost nothing. What is it like two ninety five a month to host it or three bucks a month to host it? Uh, that's all it really costs, right? right. Yeah. In fact, you get a free domain name now. Back in the day, you didn't even get a free domain name. Dude, it costs way more time and attention than it does money. Absolutely. <laughs> but here's the thing about that. I am compelled. No one you you said this to me the other day uh, and um, 
it really stuck with me because you were like, Josh, no one cares about this podcast as much as you do. Mm. Like anyone listening to it can't possibly care about this podcast because I do nothing but neurose over this podcast right all week. Mm-hmm. It's a compliment. Yeah, no, I know. And, yeah. and by the way, some people would say oh, that's a bad thing. No, no, no. I absolutely am obsessed with this podcast and with making something that people will enjoy. They'll get value from mm-hmm. it's entertaining and informational and it's beautiful as well. I mean, the reason we're spending so many resources on Ryan and I could get into a closet and record a podcast together, right? Mm-hmm. The closet podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could find a little tiny room somewhere and record a podcast. Just me and you and a H six zoom recorder and it would be fine. Oh, the closet minimalists. Whoever's listening to this and wants to start up. That's the domain right there. Go buy it right now. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. You, your life will not be any better with that domain anyway. And and so we could do that, but like it wouldn't allow us to do the same things we're doing now with Jordan and Sean and Alabama and Jess and uh, Danny unknown and, and the rest of the team. Right. Teaching a writing class. You know, I teach a writing class how to write better dot org. Mm. It's not open right now, so you can't sign up for it. But, um, you know, two, three times a year, four times this year, but usually two or three times a year. I'll teach now going into that. If I had known everything it was going to take to create that class, mm. I probably wouldn't have done it, mm. but you just go into it and say, huh, I'm going to try this out. Mm. I don't know what to expect, mm-hmm. and that for me is the most beautiful place to start. I don't know what to expect because otherwise you show up to the Van Gogh exhibit and you become disappointed. Mm-hmm. You show up to the race, not realizing this is a triathlon and I have to swim as well. Uh Oh, <laughs> I don't even like getting wet. <laughs> Oh, dude, it makes me think about um, uh, this is totally going to derail or derail your thought, I think. But the Mona Lisa, how the Mona Lisa is like this work of art. I've never heard one person say how amazing it was to see in person. Not one. I've seen an infinite amount of people who have talked about how crappy the experience is to see it in person. It's small. It's crowded. The lose great, but the Mona Lisa is the worst part about it. And wow. on and on and on. Wow. But there's something there about. Yeah. And it's because expectations. Yeah, there's a there's a barn and I think it's in Indiana or Ohio right around the border there. That's the most photographed barn in the world. Yeah. And the only reason it's the most photographed barn in the world is about a mile away. There's a sign that says most photographed barn in the world one mile. Yeah. And so everyone stops and takes a picture because they're supposed to take a picture. Yeah. It looks just like every other barn in Ohio and Indiana, but this one is the most photographed barn in the world. Mm. Patrons. Thank you so much for this. It's been 11 years of less with you. Thank you to those of you, the 52 of you who were there at the beginning. Heck yeah. That first month we had 52 visitors and now it's millions of you or thousands of you patrons who are our supporters who keep this podcast going, who pay all the wonderful people here as well, because Mm. let's be honest. We like these people that they like us. They wouldn't be here if we weren't paying them. Mm. I'd be here whether or not you were paying me, Josh. Noted. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to another 11 years, y'all. Yes, indeed. Cheers, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, patrons. 
Ryan, I realized we forgot to do the added value segment. We're moving this over to the Patreon episodes here just for our simpletons. Yeah. On Patreon. So uh, a couple things added value. You know, obviously this has been a wonderful year for music. And so every, at the end of every year, this is my 11th year doing this now. I put together my top 10 list, which often has 12 or 13 albums on it <laughs> because I'm a minimalist. <laughs> Dude, I love your uh, I love your top 13 album list. It's great. Occasionally, there's like nine albums on my top 10 list. Yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, I remember that. And so it's just whatever really stood out. And then there's like honorable mentions and stuff. So if you want to find that the minimalists.com slash sound or if you are on our email address, You'll have access to that as soon as it, or if you're on an email list, rather, you'll have access to that as soon as it comes out. One of my top three albums of 2021, we were listening to it nonstop on tour during the Southeast wave. Mm. Don Tolliver came out with an album. It's called Life of a Don. And so let's listen to my favorite song from that album. This is called 2 a.m. If you want to check out the entire list of my favorite albums this year, theminimalists.com slash sound or sign up for the email list over at theminimalists.com. We'll see you soon. So bad.